This podcast is brought to you by the Village of Bedford Park, your home for business. Over 450 businesses strong and growing with a safe, reliable Lake Michigan water supply. Visit VOBPBiz.com and bring your business home to the Village of Bedford Park. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Now, the WBBM Noon Business Hour. It's 12.03, Thursday afternoon, May 12th. Good afternoon. Thanks for joining us on the Noon Business Hour. I'm Rob Hart. Ace Hardware moving its headquarters to the former McDonald's campus at Oak Brook. We'll cover that in our next segment. But right now, wholesale prices accelerated once again last month. We're joined by Gus Foche, Chief Economist, PNC Financial Services, based in Pittsburgh. Gus, thanks for joining us once again. The uh, producer price index tracks the CPI print that came out yesterday in that uh, inflation still high, but uh, down a tick compared to a month ago. Does this look like uh, inflation has crested? Um, Inflation may have crested, but it's going to remain high throughout 2022. Uh, We're still dealing with higher energy prices in the wake of the Russian invasion of Ukraine. And and I think more concerningly, what we're seeing is is that prices broadly throughout the economy are increasing. It's not just food, it's not just energy, but we have uh, high inflation for many types of goods and services that we buy every day. Now, when the the May number comes out, I mean, April reflected a little bit of ease as far as gas prices were concerned, uh, but they've come roaring back, as anybody in the Chicago area or anywhere around the country can basically tell you. Uh, does that mean that we could see a reversal in inflation, the CPI and the PPI, uh, next month because uh, gas prices are uh, significantly higher compared to just a couple of weeks ago? That's right. I think we will see higher inflation in May than we saw in April. Um, That being said, I do think that probably the worst of the inflation is over, that we're likely to see inflation peaking sometime either in April or in May and then uh, slowing. But it still is going to be much higher than the Federal Reserve would like, and they're going to be raising interest rates throughout 2022. And uh, you know, there's only so much the Federal Reserve can control as far as uh, uh, what's driving price increases. But are there signs that maybe uh, even the threat of interest rates uh, going up is starting to uh, lead uh, companies and businesses to reevaluate their spending plans because uh, they don't want to pay uh, higher borrowing costs? We're not seeing that in the economy quite yet. I mean, demand is still very strong. So many businesses are finding that they could sell more if they could produce more. Uh, So we haven't seen that cooling off yet. I think we are seeing it in places like the stock market and places like cryptocurrency. And I think by the time we get to the end of this year, we'll start to see it in interest rate sensitive industries like business investment, housing, durable consumer goods. Jobless claims uh, still at 50 year lows. Uh, A little bit of a tick up as far as applications for new claims, but uh, continuing claims uh, at a number not seen since 1970, which kind of is an indication that people who do lose their job are not unemployed for very long. 
And also businesses aren't laying off workers because given the tight labor market, if they do lay people off and they need to rehire, they won't be able to find them. So that's the biggest reason for optimism about the U.S. economy in 2022 is that the labor market remains very, very strong. There's all this talk about recession, but it's certainly not being seen in the labor market and it's not being seen in consumer spending. Gus Fauché, chief economist, PNC Financial Services based in Pittsburgh. Thanks for joining us, Gus. Coming up, suburban-based Ace Hardware is calling the movers. The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. Ace Hardware is moving its headquarters to the site in Oak Brook that once housed the McDonald's corporate campus. Let's get the details now from Bob Reed, business writer and contributor for Chicago Magazine. Bob, thanks for joining us today. Who are the big winners in this Ace Hardware move outside of Oak Brook and maybe the investor who bought the land after McDonald's moved out? Well, it is definitely a big move for Ace. You know, the helpful hardware folks are moving one mile uh, to a new location in Oak Brook. So, yeah, Oak Brook is definitely a winner here. Uh, they're going to what's known as the Oak Brook Reserve. That used to be the McDonald's campus. That was bought out a couple of years ago for $40 million. It's 80 acres. It's had a little difficulty uh, attracting tenants, uh, but this is a big, big uh, win for uh, the reserve. And I think it's also going to be a big win for ACE because it's going to modernize and update its headquarters at a time when a lot of companies are trying to keep their employees coming uh, to to the headquarters and uh, to cater to hybrid employees as well. So you're going to see things like a cafeteria, a fitness center, an open floor pan, uh, new technology, and even a heated garage in the new uh, footprint Uh, that's a big difference from where they are now. What does this mean for the suburban office market? There's been a lot of discussion about downtown Chicago's office market in the wake of the COVID-19 pandemic and the disruption to uh, work patterns uh, since then. But the suburbs have lost 3 million square feet of tenants, and the suburban office vacancy rate is 27%. So what does this mean uh, for uh, suburban office space as a whole? Well, this is a good piece of news for the suburban office space because it shows that there's still life in it. But you're absolutely right. We're seeing the downsizing of the old traditional suburban uh, headquarters. Baxter is doing it. Allstate is doing it. And we're not really sure what's going to replace these tenants. We know that they're going to seek out smaller office space, perhaps in the city, perhaps in the suburbs. But we also know that a different type of tenant will be moving in. And in many cases, it's like these industrial warehousing groups that are coming in that will cater to Amazon or other big uh, retailers like Walmart, perhaps, uh, that need to have big warehousing footprints in order to do more online business. So it's going to change the makeup of the uh, suburban market as we've known it. And then very quickly, uh, as far as uh, the suburban office place market is uh, concerned, uh, every business is going to have to retool to possibly a three-day-a-week or four-day-a-week workplace, and they're going to have to change their floor layouts and their and the amount of square footage that they have. But in this time of extremely high gas prices and maybe... Uh, a long commute, keeping people away from the office downtown, does the suburban office park, or at the very least maybe the office park next to O'Hare along the Kennedy on the northwest side, does that become more attractive uh, because that way you're not fighting your way down the Kennedy for an extra hour on the way to the office downtown? 
Yeah, it can. And it depends the kind of workforce you want to attract. I mean, traditionally, it was young singles and such that these uh, companies that relocated to the River West area were trying to attract. Uh, maybe if you're a bit more family oriented, you want to be out further in the suburbs. But you're hitting on a key point, which is it has to be near a nexus of transportation, rail, car, uh, highways, things like that, where people are able to get in and out. And those companies that are able to come up with innovative plans to get their employees, let's say, from a train station into the campus are going to do better. But you're absolutely right. Being near a transportation hub will be essential for any kind of suburban uh, headquarters growth. Bob Reed, business writer and contributor with Chicago Magazine. Thanks for joining us this afternoon. Coming up next, Disney sees a jump in its streaming service subscriptions while also dealing with theme park problems caused by the pandemic. This is the WBBM Noon Business Hour. Disney sees a jump in its streaming service subscriptions while also dealing with theme park attendance problems caused by the pandemic. Let's see how its latest report is impacting shares of the entertainment company with Chuck Carlson, CEO of Horizon Investment Services and publisher of the Dow Theory Forecast newsletter based in Hammond. Chuck, thanks for joining us today. How should one evaluate Disney? Is it a streaming media company with a theme park attached to it or is it a theme park company with a streaming media app attached to it? Well, Wall Street continues to want to rate it as a streaming company with a theme park business, and, and hence you you get this ultra-focus on their streaming details, and you get this ultra-focus on how it's impacted by what Netflix does. I think that's a bit of an unfair characterization of Disney's business. Their, their, their businesses, by and large, uh, are, are doing quite well. Their theme park business is doing exceptionally well. The company has tremendous pricing power and tremendous demand. Uh, the, the parts of the theme park that aren't doing as well are those being affected by COVID, so those in, in, in Shanghai, for example. But, you know, the theme park business is quite strong. Their film business, uh, you know, the, the latest movie, the Doctor Strange movie, is just killing it at the box office. So that business is is quite strong and the streaming business is uh, is growing which is didn't happen to netflix in the latest quarter in terms of subscribers but it is still costing the company quite a bit of money to operate and that's the issue that wall street you know continues to kind of grapple with is is streaming a business that a company can ultimately make serious money and especially since you know, a couple of the big streaming companies, such as your Amazons and your Apples, are in that business, and they're not really in that business to make money. They're in it to provide, you know, attraction for some of their other services. So, you know, that uh, that's unfortunately that's a characterization of Disney right now, and hence why the stock has been behaving so poorly uh, as it has here over the last several months. But it is positioned rather well. You have uh, the theme park business domestically is taking, uh, you know, taking off thanks to a lot of uh, pent up demand. People getting up and and leaving for Orlando or. For for Anaheim or they're booking a Disney cruise. And even on the streaming side of the equation, they do have beachfront property as far as intellectual property is concerned. They have Star Wars, they own Marvel, and uh, those are two rather expansive universes that can arrive at the multiplex or on your streaming device. Yeah, they have tremendous brands, and they have uh, they, they have shown uh, historically an excellent way to monetize those brands. And so, you know, they... Uh, the the core Disney value is is still there in my mind. It's just you know a 
we're in a bear market. So, you know, all stocks are kind of getting pounded here, including Disney. And, uh, you know, there's been a, a re-rate of valuations. And what is a reasonable valuation to pay for a stock like Disney? You know, it used to be that people were pretty comfortable paying, you know, 25, 30 times earnings for Disney. You know, that stock now is back to, to somewhere around, you know, 20, 22 times, you know, expected 2022 earnings. And, uh, you know, Wall Street's trying to figure out if that's a, quote, reasonable price to pay for a stock like this in an environment inflation. So, you know, it's, it's, it's getting caught up with the, the broad selling in the market. But, you know, it feels to me like this is overdone and this is a franchise that will endure and Disney isn't going out of business. And, you know, two, three years from now, we're probably going to look at this price as pretty cheap for the stock. Chuck Carlson, CEO of Horizon Investment Services and publisher of the Dow Theory Forecast Newsletter in Hammond. Thanks for joining us this afternoon. Selling a little or a lot. Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage, to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is here to help you grow, whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits. Shopify helps you sell everywhere, from their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 15% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 help is their to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash odyssey podcast, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash odyssey podcast now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash odyssey podcast. This is Chicago's all news station. News radio 780 and 105.9 FM. The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. Good afternoon. I'm Rob Hart. These are the top stories on News Radio WBBM. There are now 1 million COVID deaths in the U.S. A special report coming up from CBS News. Technology Thursday Google teases a smart glasses prototype that translates languages in real time. And we'll get a contrarian view of the financial markets from a longtime observer. WBBM Business The markets are lower. The Dow is down 330 points. The Nasdaq is down 78. The S&P 500 is down 35. AccuWeather says mostly sunny today, rather breezy and hot. Less humid this afternoon, a high near 92, 80s along the lakefront. We have 86 degrees right now at O'Hare under sunny skies, 88 at Midway at 1231. CBS News special report. The U.S. has now officially surpassed one million COVID deaths. President Biden opened a global COVID summit this morning with the news and called on nations to keep fighting. We all must do more, must honor those we have lost by doing everything we can to prevent as many deaths as possible. Alexa Rivera lost her mother to COVID. The suffering that my mother went through, we were unable to be there for her on her last days. We were unable to offer her comfort. Dr. William Schaffner is an expert in infectious diseases. He says it's still very important for people to get vaccinated and boosted. Hospitalizations generally are profoundly down, but I'm cautious 
because this virus continues to spread in our community. And we know around the world, it's creating new sub-variants. COVID cases are still up nationwide. CBS News Special Report. I'm Monica Ricks. It's 1232. Markets are lower. We're joined now by Gary Kaltbaum, president of Kaltbaum Capital Management based in Orlando, Florida. Gary, thanks for joining us this afternoon. When we last spoke about two hours ago, the uh, markets were mixed. They were giving back some of their uh, earlier gains from the trading session, but uh, that sell-off is on once again. Um, outside of the just the, the general uh uh circumstances that are weighing on the markets the the uh the the end of easy money policies from the fed uh, are there any particular stocks or sectors that are really kind of driving this sell-off uh well technology is always the leader on the upside and downside and technology stocks are just in a simple brutal bear market a uh, combination of two things uh, they're up about tenfold since the lows in 2009. We're talking about a gargantuan move, uh, but also they got very overowned, overloved, and overleveraged at the top of the cycle. So the really only thing to do is sell, and it feeds on itself, and you're singing in droves. And also the fundamental side, I can tell you uh, that inventory for the biggest PC makers has skyrocketed in the last month. That's telling you demand. Uh, is is, uh, coming down because it was cannibalized during COVID when everybody bought a PC or a tablet and another PC and a tablet because of the stay at home. So that's ending at this juncture. So there was a great deal of disruption uh, two years ago as everybody raced inside. And now uh, the the opposite and the opposite side of that is uh, disruption as everybody races outside. Absolutely. And the worst stocks in the market are Peloton, uh, and anything that benefited uh, from the stay-at-home. So uh, definitely things have changed. Uh, I think there's going to be gargantuan winners going forward in technology, but we got to get through this bear market first. And I have a sneaking suspicion uh, we're not there yet, uh, the end of it. Is this also a function of the fact that uh, investors' uh, risk appetite has uh, basically disappeared? Because two years ago, the the Federal Reserve, the much maligned Federal Reserve, uh, found a way to uh, stop the worst recession or contraction since the Great Depression basically in its tracks. And uh, everybody had a, a really n- a nice risk appetite after that because they kind of saw what was possible, that uh, things like that could be stopped cold. But now you have inflation, something that you can't stop on a dime, and uh, everyone's kind of puckered up, so to speak. Well, first off, I don't think it was the Fed that came to the rescue. I think we came to the rescue as we came out of COVID. Uh, I think the Fed, all they did was screw savers with 0% interest rate. Think think about that end. And then the bubbled up assets that are all now popping and massive amounts of losses in the uh, bubbled up areas. And that's not helping the psyche of the market either. The latest, of course, is being these coins and the disaster uh, that happened overnight uh, that I don't think would ever happen without uh, $30 trillion of printed money, both here and around the globe, and 0% interest rates here and negative interest rates in places uh, like Europe. So I think they set the stage for this. Uh, Eventually, we'll come out of it. But unfortunately, we're still in it. And you got to be very patient and very defensive uh, while we go through it. The strongest stocks in the market right now 
are recession resistant names like uh, uh, General Mills and Post Cereal and Kellogg's and, and, and uh, Campbell's Soup and things like that. And that's really telling you everything you know about everything you need to know about the defensive uh, nature of this market. Is this a tough but necessary correction? Oh, well, I think it's the best thing to happen long term. In order to go higher, you got to come lower. In order to go higher, you got to ring out the excesses. And I think we've had the most excesses we've had in history. And hopefully the people that cause this, uh, you know, get out of the business and go back to teaching. And we find some people that have some uh, sanity when it comes to uh, monetary policy. And really the best thing they can ever do is just get out of our way and let her do our bidding. Gary Kulpbaum, president of Kulpbaum Capital Management based in Orlando. The website, GaryK.com. Thanks for joining us this afternoon. Coming up next in Technology Thursday, the latest prototype of smart glasses from Google. The only program dedicated to currency events. You're listening to the WBBM Noon Business Hour. The CEO of Google is teasing what will likely be the company's new version of smart glasses. We're joined by Jennifer Jolly, Tech Life columnist for USA Today, founder and editor-in-chief of Techish.com, based in San Francisco. Jennifer, thanks for joining us this afternoon. Before we talk about the new feature of the new version of smart glasses, where did Google Glass really go. Uh, it was released with much fanfare uh, mm-hmm. several years ago, but uh, how many people actually adopted the technology? Well, it was released a decade ago. So 10 years Google's been trying to get this right. Remember the glass holes, Google Glass, people walking around with these clunky frames, basically with only the ability to video anything. So the glasses have been available to enterprise customers. So people in businesses where maybe videoing everything you're looking at is a thing. That's where they've been basically for the past 10 years. In the meantime, other companies have tried to come out with these smart glasses. Most of the time they have failed miserably. So now we're looking at Google's latest, hey, these glasses might be a thing. And, and Apple, Facebook, Meta, they're all working on some form of some wearable smart glasses. But Google really hit on something awesome, teasing a concept that it can translate language, even sign language, in real time. Yeah, you know, t- ten years ago, uh, you know, Google Glass may have seemed like uh, seemed like something out of an episode of Silicon Valley. But uh, augmented reality is is having its moment, or very close to having its moment. So maybe the uh, the technological circle has uh, come around to this concept once again. Yeah, and right now what's important to understand is this is just a concept. There's a team of engineers, I actually know one of them, working on this. It's a wonderful concept, but I have tried every translation gadget on the market. And in reality, they show these amazing commercials, but then you go to use it, and there's always an awkward lag time between the time you see something in English, you wait for it to translate, and then, as is the case with Google Translate and Google Pixel Buds, then it repeats what you're saying in English in, say, Spanish on an app. There's this awkward period of lag time. It's the same with every translation device out there. I don't know how Google's going to solve for that problem in real time. There is no technology, split-second technology like that today. While I'm sure it will be available in two to five years, 
that's what I'm really suspicious about at this point. It's uh, it it the the Google device needs to hear clearly what the other person is saying, and I've you know Google Translate we've all used it. It is a very helpful tool uh, in in helping you understand the gist of what somebody is saying in a different language. Um, are you going to have like the perfect translation or the clunky translation? I cannot imagine you would ever have the perfect translation. There's slang, there's uh, various dialects. And while Google is closer than any other tech company at getting it right, there will still be those really awkward moments and really ridiculous translations. No matter how you slice it, you can't take the human element out of it. We're working toward that direction, but we are not there yet. Well, it just reminds me of uh, a scene from a episode of the great TV series News Radio, where the owner of the radio station uh, has his book called Capitalist Lion Tamer translated into Japanese and then back into English, and it comes back as Macho Business Donkey Wrestler. And I see this happening more than more than once with the uh, Google Translate glasses. Yes, yes. And you know, one of the biggest problems that we've always had with these AR smart glasses is, hey, we have a hard enough time getting people's noses out of their smartphones walking across streets and stuff. Can you imagine having something come in that you're reading while you're trying to cross the street? So, so there will be a learning curve. Also, if you actually wear glasses in real life, you've got to get prescription lenses. I mean, this is not without its issues. But man, is the commercial for it ever wonderful. And it's available on YouTube now. Jennifer Jolly, Tech Life columnist for USA Today, founder and editor-in-chief of Techish.com based in San Francisco. Thanks for joining us this afternoon. Join us at this time tomorrow for Entrepreneur Friday. And still to come, a view of the markets from a contrarian perspective. Loaning useful information each weekday. The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. One of the few bullish signs for stocks right now is that almost everyone is bearish. Joining us with a look at the markets through a contrarian lens is Mark Hulbert, investment columnist for the Wall Street Journal, Barron's, and MarketWatch.com, based in Washington. Mark, thanks for joining us today. Uh, This has been a banner week for the stock photo of the trader looking very stressed. You know, the guy with his head in his hands on the trade floor of the New York Stock Exchange, but uh, it doesn't necessarily have to be that way if you're looking at it through a contrarian lens. That's absolutely right. It turns out that uh, contrarians are contrary. They they get to uh, be more optimistic when everyone else is pessimistic and vice versa. And so, uh, and I count myself as one of the contrarians, and we carefully measure the sentiment among, uh, you know, nearly 100 stock market timing services. These are the services that tell you how much to be in or out of the market. And uh, we're looking to see whether we're getting the kinds of extreme pessimism that would be a hallmark of, uh, of, uh, if it's not a major market bottom, at least the bottom that would support a a tradable rally. And we're getting close. I I, I don't want to say we're there yet, but we're getting close. It turns out that, as you said in the intro, there's a heck of a lot of pessimism out there, but I think it's actually relatively shallow pessimism because we've seen over the last couple of weeks, as soon as the market posts even a one-day rally, you'll get a lot of people jumping back on the bullish bandwagon. And what really is the hallmark of a bottom is when the market starts to rally, people don't believe it. That's the kind of stubborn pessimism 
that you'll see at a more tradable bottom. And in terms of measuring pessimism and sentiment among traders and investors, uh, now you can just log on to social media and go through uh, financial Twitter and just you know drown in a sea of pessimism. Before social media was available, like what was the best way to measure? Was it was Happy Hour the best way to measure pessimism and kind of see where people's feelings were about when the market was going to reach bottom? Well, I mean, that is one approach. I I don't think it's a very reliable one because it really depends on which social media feed you look at or in the olden days, which bar you happen to be going to take your drink at. And it turns out that what we do is uh, measure sentiment by looking at these uh, market timing services. These are these professional services where the advisors who, who are the authors of them will tell you how much to be in or out of the market. And it's a very objective, uh, systematic measurement of the of the of the market timing community's mood it's not the only sentiment measure out there but i i would stress that regardless of which measure you look at you need to have it uh, to be objective and uh, widespread and uh, that kind of a sentiment measure rather than just our subjective feelings by looking at this or that social media feed mark holbert investment columnist for the wall street journal barons and marketwatch.com based in washington thanks for joining us this afternoon if you missed any part of today's noon business hour we'll have the replay podcast available shortly at wbbmnewsradio.com and the odyssey app we get it attention spans just aren't what they used to be heads in social media and eyes on netflix but what do people do with their ears well for one they're listening to audio americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.